Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. So I think our responsibility in that context is to say, well, how can tech actually help a little, um, not make things more difficult? And, uh, and I think that that's where a lot of our focus needs to be. And it's been a lot of our focus through uh, initiatives like the Digital Transformation Hub for us. But, but for me, it's about more than just let's kind of sort out these building blocks of tech in the, in the sector. It's also about thinking, how might we think differently about some of these social issues that, that we're trying to tackle? Great to be back with you here, as always, as we close in on another big year in life and of Humans of Purpose. This week, I'm thrilled to welcome David Spriggs to the podcast. David is the CEO of InfoExchange, a technology not-for-profit and social enterprise with over 30 years of history in pursuing a vision of technology for social justice. David's love of technology began early in primary school when his dad brought home one of the very first IBM PCs from work. You'll have to listen to the podcast to work out what David did next. David has been CEO of InfoExchange for nearly a decade or a third of its lifespan and has contributed greatly to the legacy founded by the great Andrew Marr. Beyond his role at InfoExchange, David is chair of the Australian Digital Inclusion Alliance, ADIA, and deputy chair of Spellistern Australia, working to create careers for people on the autism spectrum. He's also director of the Ilana and Madeline Foundation, a national not-for-profit organisation dedicated to keeping children and young people free from violence and trauma wherever they live, learn and play. We will spend much of this conversation talking about the fascinating interplay between technology and social issues and how technology can and is currently contributing to solving these complex issues at scale. There is also great discussion of the entrenched issues of a lack of digital inclusion in Australia, as well as how InfoExchange is seeking to help more people facing hardship directly and through intermediaries, as well as how InfoExchange is supporting a more capable, resourceful and efficient community sector. A major call out from this chat is to check out InfoExchange's recently released State of Digital Technology in the Not-for-Profit Sector 2022 report, as well as a Digital Transformation Hub, which is enabling thousands of not-for-profit and for-purpose sector people and their organisations to solve their technology challenges and upskill to better serve their communities. I've included links to these and some other great InfoExchange offerings, including Connecting Up, Ask Izzy and the Service Directory in the show notes. The great disclaimer here is that I work for InfoExchange. I've been lucky enough to be part of the InfoExchange journey since the start of the year. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with David as much as I did. I am really happy to be joined in the studio by David Spriggs, CEO of InfoExchange. Welcome to the podcast. Fantastic to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. I feel like um, I've just seen you virtually, uh, now in person. We've just done a wonderful uh, tech tech report release for the sector and uh, I feel like that went pretty well and now I've got you in person. What an honour to see you in both forms in one day. (laughs) Um, Look, as we do in Humans of Purpose style, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your journey and how you made your way to uh, tech and info exchange and you've been CEO now for 13 years, is that right? 
Uh, no, I've been at InfoExchange for 13 years, yep. not quite CEO for, for all that time, but yes, 13 years, wonderful, wonderful Fantastic. time. So quite a, quite a legacy, but I think um, before we get to uh, that, I'd love to hear about the way, the journey, what you were doing before and what, what brought you to where we are now. Yeah, great. Well, maybe wind it way, way back. Yep. So I was, uh, I was born in Scotland, but uh, moved to Australia when I was two years old and I, uh, I grew up in Eltham which uh, for those of you who know uh, Melbourne, Eltham is now actually quite a big part of our thriving metropolis of Melbourne. But back then it was really a, you know, a small, small little country town almost. We still had dirt roads. And I very much learned about kind of the sense of community. And for our family, a lot of that was based around our local church, St Margaret's Anglican Church in, uh, in Eltham. And it was just a really lovely time growing up as a, as a kid and experiencing that kind of, that, you know, that, that community around you. Um, and then early on in uh, in primary school, I had a I had a fairly life changing moment. Um, back when I was around grade one or grade two in uh, in primary school, my uh, my father was uh, working as a, as an accountant at ICI, and uh, he brought home from work one of the very first IBM personal computers. Oh wow! What year was this? Um, this was amazing. So this would have been around 1982, something oh, like my that. God. Um, early early days. Very early days of computing, and I think uh, my dad's boss thought everybody should uh, take one of these home and see if they can learn something about these computers. Maybe they're going to be something one day. But uh, I don't think my dad had much of a chance to uh, to touch the thing because <laughs> as my parents tell the story, I, I flicked from playing Lego all the time to uh, being transfixed by this computer. And, uh, you know, nothing like they are today. You know, you turn on this computer and it comes up with IBM Cassette Basic. And, uh, you know, so I taught myself to, taught myself to program and uh, I knew from, you know, a pretty early age that, that I really wanted to get into, into tech. It's love at first sight. And, and I guess Lego and computers have both thrived, but I think you made the right choice there uh, going deep on computers. Well, I, I still do my Lego. You can ask, uh, you can oh, really? ask, ask, ask my kids. Like, yeah, I still build lots of, lots of Lego with them. So, yeah, I, I kind of thought from an early age, you know, tech was what I really wanted to, to get into. Um, and had a had a really fortunate upbringing through school, and was able to go to university. Went to uh, to study information technology at the University of Queensland, and uh, and joined the joined the tech sector, and had a had a wonderful time for for many years in the in the tech sector, working across Australia, working across Asia, across Europe, across the US. Learned an enormous amount, and it was a it was a fascinating time, and a, and a range of roles from software engineering to support to project management. Um, partner management was one of the was one of the favourite roles that, that I had in the tech sector. Um, but then, about twenty years ago, I, uh, I happened upon this organisation called Info Exchange, and met our founder Andrew Ma, who was just an incredible person. Um, and I didn't really understand everything that was going on, but I just kind of turned up to this office on uh, Johnston Street out in Abbotsford at the time, <laughs> and just thought, "This is this is amazing." Yeah. And the work they were doing in digital inclusion, in connecting people to services, in looking after the not-for-profit sector and technology. Um, and it really made me realise how fortunate I'd been in, in my own journey and that there's so many people in our community who hadn't had those opportunities and, and who were missing out. Um, and so I often say I was slow to work it out because it took me 10 years to realise I actually needed to join the organisation. Um, but yeah, joined just a bit over 13 years ago and have, and have loved every every minute since. So it's really interesting that a few things to pull apart there. So Brisbane or Queensland when you when you were there, was that much of a tech hub at the time? I think it was, it was a very early stage tech hub in, in Brisbane. One of the first companies I worked for was called CITR. They were out of the University of Queensland. 
and we were doing outsourced software development for NEC in Japan and, uh, and oh, Hewlett-Packard wow. in the US, for example. Um, and back then that was pretty cutting edge to be thinking about outsourced software development. Yeah. Um, so there, there was that kind of that sort of initial initial hub out of out of Brisbane. It's obviously grown a, a lot more since then, but it was a yeah, it was a wonderful place to work and and learn. I love Brisbane, and I, I went to the Info Exchange offices there recently, and just a wonderful experience. And I always, when I'm in Brisbane, think about thinking about my father telling me stories about his childhood in Brisbane when um, he's much older than you are, David, but he would go to school without shoes on because they didn't require you to wear socks or shoes to school. So that's always like a, a fun memory of me that I didn't have myself, but of Brisbane life back in the day. Well, that sounds like a very Brisbane thing. And, and you <laughs> yeah. still see that frequently yeah. today. Yeah, and exactly. I always smile when I fly to Brisbane <laughs> and I'm getting a flight back to Melbourne and on the Arrow Bridge, it's, it's full of people, maybe with not no shoes at all, but yeah. definitely it's a, it's a thongs and shorts kind of a place. Last time I, last flight back from Brisbane, I think it was after the Social Enterprise World Forum, I was lucky enough to be in the line with a family dressed as cowboys. Um, but I think they didn't know they were dressing as cowboys. It was just how they dressed. So always interesting times in Brisbane. Um, might have been up, up on their way to uh, Townsville to watch exactly, some uh, rugby league. Exactly. So very good times. And so then you go global and you learn some really interesting things through your travels. And what sort of strikes me as quite interesting about Info Exchange, um, even somebody quite new to the organisation, is that that really um, that nexus between technology for the purpose of human and social connection and social betterment, and I don't know, I don't know enough about the sector um, to make any judgment here, but but I wouldn't have thought there'd be too many organisations working in that space at that time. Yeah, and I, I think it's really quite unique that technology for social justice, and, and certainly it was over thirty years ago when our founder Andrew Marr kind of came up with the whole info exchange, and and it's been that vision of technology for social justice that's driven us that whole way through. And uh, so we, we always talk about the, you know, some of the origin story. <laughs> I mean, you, you've told me the origin story, so um, you, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it that Andrew was trying to, he, he noticed a gap in the market for the need for help seekers to find crisis accommodation or a place to sleep for the night and used bulletin board technology to develop the first um, bulletin board to enable that connection? Absolutely. It was it was absolutely amazing. Late 80s. So these days you say, oh, how about creating a tech platform for crisis accommodation? Yep. And everybody would say, yeah, great. Jump, <laughs> jump and build that yeah. and it'll be out on the web, you know, next week as yep. a minimum viable product. But back then, yeah, this was this was pre-internet. And literally with a with a group of volunteers, Andrew got this system up and up and running and so ahead of its time. I mean, it's that's a system that Info Exchange runs today for over two thousand housing and homelessness organizations across the country. But to think about, you know, you could be doing that 30 years ago is, yeah, uh, is incredible. It's tremendous. And for those of us who, our listeners and anyone present who might not know what an online bulletin board is, quite a concept. Uh, what, what is it? So I'd, I got into this bulletin board when uh, I had that first computer from my father that I was talking about. <laughs> so what you used to do, you used to connect this little device called a modem yep. and it would connect into your telephone line and plug into your computer. That's um, where you get that great noise. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> After a whole lot of little beeps and clunking sounds, you'd, you'd finally be connected to something. And kind of if you can imagine a green screen with text coming at you really slowly, you can read away, you know, type a few keystrokes. But, uh, you know, amazing. You know, you could use this technology to uh, to apply it to yep. crisis accommodation. It's incredible. And so how was it then? I mean, 
sort of joining at that point that you did, what kinds of things were you working on and how different is it sort of then to today? I know it's a hard comparison to make because so much has changed, but just what did it feel like in the context and the operating environment? Yeah, so I think uh, 13 years ago we, we still had a lot of work to do to try and uh, explain that vision to people. So, you know, why is technology important? And in a lot of our earlier work around digital inclusion, we were working in public housing estates in inner city Melbourne and uh, wiring up people to the internet, providing skills and uh, all that sort of community and capacity building. And now everybody talks about digital inclusion and we see Mm. it as a national issue that we need to address. And, you know, at InfoExchange, we've helped form the Australian Digital Inclusion Alliance. Mm. But back then, you know, you'd have to spell digital inclusion Mm. for people. And kind of talk about, you know, why it was important and why we needed to think about those in our community that were getting left behind. You know, yeah. whether that was school kids that weren't able to be effective at school because they didn't have access to, to the right tools, whether it was difficulties of people finding a job, yeah. whether it was, uh, you know, seniors and connecting with family and friends over, uh, over the internet. So I think we had to do a lot of work in those early days explaining why some of these things were important yeah. and, and the same in the not-for-profit sector you know, why technology was important to a not-for-profit and uh, and what could technology provide. So I think I think we've come quite a lot quite a long way. Yeah, and I think you've recognised that early. I can see how some people might not understand the importance of something like digital inclusion, but now when everything is digital and you can't do anything without digital access and sort of the technology, you know, it's amazing to think that I know that I think last year we reported that 11% were digitally excluded and I think it's more now, isn't it? Yeah, so I think 11% highly digitally excluded mm. and, and 17% of Australians kind of fall into that digitally excluded category. Yeah. But it's also really complex. It's not just binary, you know, do you have a phone or not or yep. do you have a device? It's really having the, the skills and confidence to, to fully participate in, in society. Yep. And kind of some, some myth busting, you know, I think uh, earlier on people thought, well, this is just a problem for seniors. Mm. Um, and I think everybody saw during COVID that myth blown apart oh, yeah. when uh, there were so many kids that, that weren't able to access online learning and uh, and really struggled through the Micro uh, through communities, the culturally and linguistically diverse communities. I Absolutely. Think, yeah, I think that's a really interesting myth to, to, to be busting. And I think also just recognising the power of digital connection to enable equal participation in society as being sort of like really important as almost as like a civic participation imperative really key. Absolutely, and I guess that's why we say technology for social justice. Yep. It's not it's not tech for tech's sake. Mm. This this is social justice yep. and, a, and a just society. And so, if we talk a little bit about what's happened at Info Exchange since you've arrived, what are some of the things that you're most proud of um, seeing and, and sort of working through um, in your role? So, one one of the things that I'm really proud of, I guess, is some of the the cross sector partnerships that we've been able to to bring together at Info Exchange. So I, I found it a little surprising when I joined the not-for-profit sector. I thought, uh, you know, everybody would be working together, everybody would be based around, you know, what are the needs <laughs> of the community, how are we working together? And, uh, and I really realised that a lot of the not-for-profit sector was really quite siloed. So siloed across the sector and then not necessarily working well with corporate partners. I talk about the, the novelty check era of, you know, here's, here's some money, go and do some good. Mm-hmm. Um, but not really thinking about how you could work closely with those corporate partners, um, how you could work differently with government. A lot of organisations saw government as a funding body mm. but didn't really approach government and have those conversations about, you know, how could we be a bit more innovative in, in what we're trying to do. So bringing, bringing those cross-sector partnerships together on, on a number of initiatives and one of, the, one of the proudest ones 
for me is uh, Ask Izzy, mm. which is a, it's a mobile website that we launched back in 2016 now, um, designed originally for people who are homeless or at risk of homelessness to be able to find services in their local area. So that might be, you know, where can I find a free meal? Um, how can I find crisis accommodation? I need help with my mental health. Um, I'm seeking to flee a family violence situation. And so putting that information in the power of people's hands in their mobile so they can find where those services are, how to connect with them. And really what we found was quite empowering in terms of it's not just about find and connect with a service. People can look through and see what services are available and then they're actually making the choice to, to reach out and, and connect with that service. And I thought it was, it was a wonderful cross-sector partnership. We had uh, corporate partners involved. The, the founding partners were, were Google realestate.com.au and News Corp Australia. We had the not-for-profit sector involved. We had philanthropy involved. Um, and then really at the heart of it, we were driven by the voices of people with lived experience. Um, and that was just a really humbling experience for, for everybody that has worked on Ask Izzy and that everybody's that's still working on Ask Izzy today. Um, and a long way around, we're talking about my proudest moment, it was at the launch of Ask Izzy we were fortunate to have the Prime Minister there to launch it for us and we had all of these dignitaries lined up. But in, in the front row we had a number of the people with lived experience mm. that, had, uh, that had worked with us to, to build Ask Izzy. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing accomplishment and I believe over 10 million have now used it. Yeah, absolutely. Over, over 10 million people have now used it and, and I say, you know, fantastic, there's so many people using it and people are aware of it and how sad is it that there's that many people in our community who were just needing access to, to really, really basic services. So this services. is sort of a feeling of a double-edged sword in a way. We're, we're providing a great solution, but as we see the usage numbers go up, we're equally happy and depressed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a real we, – we see on ourselves a real responsibility to be sharing some of that anonymous usage data that we see through Ask Izzy. So when we can see it's in the last year alone over 3.1 million searches for help. And we can see, you know, in the last 12 months, an increase of over 50% of people looking for free meal services, for example. Then we've, we've got a real responsibility to be sharing that information, sharing it with government, sharing it across the sector, sharing it with advocacy organisations, mm. and just helping raise awareness in the general public as to, you know, the, some of the real struggles that are going on in, in our community at the moment. Yeah, and I think it's, it's great to see it um, everywhere now. I mean, the, the O-Media partnership, which we should touch on, has just been incredible. It's, it's spreading the message. You can't go into a major shopping centre or transport station in Victoria and elsewhere without sort of seeing the message around Ask Izzy and the fact that you can now QR code in and sort of get direct help is just amazing. Absolutely, and, and we're so grateful. I mean, O-Media have, have partnered with us purely on an on a in-kind basis, so, so no cost to Info Exchange, um, and have been advertising Ask Izzy far and wide, but in really practical locations for help seekers. So as you say, things like in, uh, in bus shelters and in train stations, you know, often where we know people are, are in need of help, um, there's that immediate message there that, that there is help available and uh, and it's helping connect people with Ask Izzy. It's tremendous. And, and I think we sort of touched upon some of the things that are happening in Ask Izzy land, which are really fantastic around um, the feature development. So lists, so understanding what are the common things that people are seeking for together. And then also that really interesting predictive part. So what, what can we help help seekers with 
by way of suggestion or recommendation through algorithm to help them to uh, identify what they need and not have to do all the hard work themselves necessarily. Excellent. Absolutely. And I think it's a, it's a really good example of tech for social good. So, you know, often we talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning like it's some nefarious thing. You know, people have a lot of trouble understanding what it is. This has been a really good practical example. Some recent work we've been doing with uh, Google, the University of New South Wales and CSIRO on actually yeah, developing a machine learning model to help recommend services to people on, on Ask Izzy. So that's been, that's been incredible work. And as you said, some of the recent enhancements we've made have been for service providers and workers and volunteers using Ask Izzy. So we, we designed Ask Izzy directly for people in need, but we've, we've actually found that a substantial number of our users are actually workers in the sector and volunteers yeah. who are looking to help connect their clients with services. And sometimes quite massive organisations too. Absolutely. So all, all sizes of organisations, from the largest of NGOs to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really proud, you know, small organisations. It might be a local church that offers a food service a couple of times a week. And they'll, they'll have people coming into that food service and they'll have other needs. And the, the volunteers in that service can use Ask Izzy to help them find some some other services as well. And I think we'd be remiss not to mention the service directory um, in all of this as well, which is sort of the back end of Ask Izzy and, you know, to have um, over 400,000 sort of community services um, out there, up-to-date listings of when they're open, the phone numbers, the emails, where they are, any changes in location. What a, what a phenomenal achievement. It's been a massive achievement and, and that's a service directory now that InfoExchange has been running for over 30 years. So that was part of Andrew Ma's initial vision for the whole uh, for the whole of InfoExchange and uh, and it's just been incredible to see the growth in that over the years. And when I joined, we were still publishing paper versions of that directory for people that wanted it in print. We were still mailing CD-ROMs to people. I think we probably even had a few <laughs> floppy disks left of, uh, of distributing that directory. I'm so, so happy was, to hear was, someone say CD-ROM. That made me just really happy inside. So it was, was an amazing piece of work. And, you know, Robin Carlson, who is still managing that directory for, for us, has been with InfoExchange over 30 years. It's just incredible. an incredible achievement. And Morda Ratnayake works on that team yep. over 20 years. We barely have awards that cover years that go that high. We, need, we might need to develop some. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's phenomenal achievements, and and so this is this is part of the work which is just um, extraordinary. But I feel like um, also important to talk about the role that Info Exchange plays um, as a collaborative agent in the sector to really uplift capability across the board. So what I find really interesting is that um, someone actually asked me this as part of the job interview process, but they were sort of saying, "Do you talk about your um, your customers as clients or partners?" And I, I was sort of thought to myself, "I did." double take it. I think, aren't they both a lot of the time? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so in the sense that, you know, often the client and case management systems that we're helping um, with the sector at sort of very reasonable cost, the managed IT services, a lot of the recipients of these services um, who are able to you know, uplift their own capability and do things better through our systems are also part. At Carvana, we're in the business of driving you happy. And with the widest selection of used cars under $20,000, you're bound to find a car that'll put a smile on your face. Carvana gives you control by letting you customize your down and monthly payments. You can browse tens of thousands of cars online to find one within your budget, and you won't get surprised with any bogus fees. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to shop for a vehicle. Carvana, we'll drive you happy. Availability may vary by market. Partners through a range of the other things that we do. 
Yes, absolutely. But I, I think it's a really good thing. I mean, our, our model is a, is as a social enterprise, and so as you say, we provide client and case management systems to over five thousand services across the country, and we're really proud of that. From the largest of not for profits like the Australian Red Cross, through to through to small organisations that might only have two or three staff or might be purely volunteer led. Um, but we do it in a social enterprise model, which means we actually charge on a fee-for-service basis for those organisations accessing the solution. And as you say, we, we make sure it's affordable. We make sure it's affordable for, for the smallest of organisations. But I think, it, I think it's really important because we're then charging something for that service. It, it then really puts the onus back on us to make sure that that service is working really well. Oh, yeah. I, I think, um, it's, it, you know, I can only give my own experience. I mean, part of the reason I'm with you at InfoExchange today is because, you know, working at Task Force, when we went through our procurement process around CCM, we looked at a few different providers. And as I've told you before, um, working with another not-for-profit social enterprise on this project was just a great alignment of values and the right fit, but also it was a quarter of the cost of the competitors um, and the service was fantastic and the product was fantastic and um, Task Force still very happy users of that service. So. It's great to hear. And I think part, part of the secret sauce in there for us is we, we call it socialisation of IP, but effectively what we do is if one, if one customer, and it might be a large government customer of ours or a large NGO, invests into our client and case management product and helps us build out new features we make that available to everybody in the sector and that's a bit of a condition of working with us that any enhancements you make for your organisation you're willing to share across the sector and I think that's incredibly powerful particularly for some of the smaller organisations that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be able to afford to to implement some of what those larger organisations do. That's so good to hear. I mean, I'm learning a lot already about the organisation and how I lo- so socialised IP, that's one that I'm going to be thinking about a fair bit. Fantastic. And so, I mean, the other really important function that I think InfoExchange plays, and it's a timely moment to talk about this, is that sort of understanding of um, what are the challenges facing the sector? So given all the information that we have through service directory, Ask Izzy, client and case management, everything that we've got under the hood, um, we're in this really unique position, maybe more unique and better place than a whole lot of other organisations or agencies to say, hey, guys, tell us what your mood is. What, what are you feeling and what are you doing about some of the key challenges and opportunities in the sector? Yeah, and, and we need to kind of look at it in the context we're currently in. I mean, the last few years with uh, not just COVID but the, the natural disasters, you know, we've got rapidly rising cost of living pressures now all of the global instability. I mean, this has just been a time of absolutely enormous pressure on the, on the sector and we, we, we need to, we need to recognise that and there's so many in the sector that are fatigued and, and are on the edge of, on the edge of burnout. So I think our, our responsibility in that context is to say, well, how can tech actually help a little, um, not make things more difficult and, uh, and I think that that's where a lot of our focus needs to be. And it's been a lot of our focus through uh, initiatives like the Digital Transformation Hub for us. But, but for me, it's about more than just let's kind of sort out these building blocks of tech in the, in the sector. It's also about thinking how might we think differently about some of these social issues that, that we're trying to tackle. And we, we talk at InfoExchange about disrupting disadvantage or, uh, or sometimes we talk about the move from serving to solving and, you know, we look at issues like homelessness and, uh, you know, I, I think our team does some great work helping people connect with services and providing some of those case management systems that are used by the sector. But these problems are continuing to get worse. 
So how, how can we look at it differently and say, how could we look to end homelessness, for example? Mm. And we're not going to do that as info exchange on our own. No. Um, but if you look at some of the collaborations, we've been really proud to work with the uh, the Australian Alliance to End Homelessness. and uh, Melbourne Zero now as well. And here, here in Melbourne, working with Launch Housing and, and Melbourne Zero, I think it's, it's great to see just people looking at these problems in a different way. Yeah. And, uh, and our role in that is how can technology support that? And, yeah. and uh, in those cases, you know, technology can support in some of that service coordination um, to enable some of that work that's going on through the by name list to, to help people end rough sleeping and help people get into permanent housing. It's really tremendous stuff. And I, I mean, I suppose um, part of the outcome or output of having done all that work, that research work and studies of the sector and using what we've got, the data, the rich data bank that we have results in something like the Digital Transformation Hub, which really does change the way we can help not-for-profits in the sector. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I think that was a great example of a cross-sector partnership. So the, the Digital Transformation Hub, we, we launched last year and it was really off the back of what we were seeing during COVID. So a number of organisations coming to us really struggling to get the basics in place. So I remember when COVID hit and everybody started to move to remote working, um, a lot of organisations in the sector weren't prepared for that. In fact, we did a survey at the time and found only about 20 25% of, of organisations had what they needed in place. And so we thought there was a real need for a place for organisations to go to get help with some of the basics like that, to get help with things like information security, which is becoming obviously increasingly important, um, and really start to think about how they might deliver their services differently in this new digital world that, that we're living in. So we, we saw the need for that. We were, we were thrilled to get initial philanthropic support and seed funding from the Lord Mayor's Charitable Foundation and the Gandell Foundation. This was really the best of philanthropy. They, they mm. saw a need and they acted on it immediately. Yep. And it's now been supported by a fantastic cross-sector partnership. So philanthropic partners, government has come on board, the New South Wales government and the Victorian government. Large consulting firms like PwC have come on board to support us. Google and Microsoft are partners and a whole range of organisations across the tech space. All of these organisations coming together, wanting to support in particular small to medium organisations that might not know where to get started. And, And a lot of those get started on a piece on the hub we've got called the Expert Bar. And, and I just love this. You can book in, you can talk to one of our team, you can talk to one of our volunteers. Hopefully you get Marcus Harvey, that'd be good. You can get Marcus Harvey, you get our wonderful consultants. We, we did a webinar <laughs> with Sophie from our team earlier and uh, they, they just do amazing work talking people through. We know the sector is a human sector. And so you can provide all of these good practice resources. Often you just want to talk to somebody. Yeah. So please, can you lead me through? Love that. Don't, so. don't give me a chatbot. Give me a person. Give me a real person. Sophie and Marcus are there. They're your people. And, and I just think it's terrific that Info Exchange, um, as an organisation, and the people sort of recce- really have that clear understanding that being tech enabled does not mean that you just give tech to people as a solution. That you know people have to be a core part of that solution, and they they're the ones that bridge um, the answers that technology can help give you into effective sort of collaborative solution making. Absolutely, and I think it's it's probably one of the biggest challenges we've got in the sector is we've we've made some fairly significant advancements in digital technology in the sector. Um, but we've still got a lot of work to do from a digital skills perspective, mm. not just in the community. We were talking before about digital inclusion, um, but workers and volunteers in the sector. Mm. You know, these are people who are doing absolutely amazing work day in, day out. And they didn't become a social worker to become an expert in IT. And so we have to acknowledge that and yep. we have to help them on that journey. 
um, and do it in a in a really uh, respectful in a really respectful way of their time and and showing how tech can help and making things easier for them. David, a lot is changing in info exchange, and it's a really exciting period. We've got a big year coming up next year. We're almost at the end of we're in the sort of canter to the Christmas break at the moment. What are you most excited about that's sort of changing at Info Exchange um, over the next year? Yeah, we've got a lot of exciting initiatives going on, but I guess I've, I've always looked at it in how do we best respond to the need. And so that's really what's framing. That's what's going to frame for us the, the next year or two. Um, and I think as, as we've talked about, it, it's really sad to see in community these rapidly rising cost of living pressures, you know, these rapidly rising inflation and, uh, you know, rapidly rising energy bills. And, uh, and how are people in our communities going to be able to cope with that? How might we be able to support those community members, connect to some support services that, that might be able to assist them? And while the sector is literally at breaking point, how can we help the sector in in a small way in being able to serve more people, maybe in being a, a bit more effective in, in what they're doing through the use of tech, maybe it's in the use of, of digital channels to, to connect out. So those, those are the things that are that are really driving me is just acknowledging that environment that we're in and how can we how can we best help. It's really well said. And do you want to say something about the Data Catalyst Network? Because that's quite exciting news too. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a uh, an announcement we've uh, we've just made with the Paul Ramsey Foundation, who are supporting an extension to our work on the Digital Transformation Hub to build a Data Catalyst Network across the sector. Now, now what is that? Um, you know, so many community organisations are, are collecting data. They're collecting data about the the work that they're doing in communities. Um, but often they really struggle on how do they collate that data? How do they measure their impact using that data? Ultimately, how might you be able to measure outcomes using using some of that data? And we know the sector is uh, is time poor and collects a lot of data, often for uh, for funder purposes or reporting back to government. So our objective with the Data Catalyst Network is how can we work with a group of organisations who want to do more in this space, help them make the most of their data, and then share those experiences with other like-minded organisations across the across the sector. So I think a really exciting initiative, bringing together initially a group of organisations, but then making those resources available to, to the entire sector to, to learn from. Oh, that's super exciting. I'm really glad we've touched on that. Now, um, I want to talk a bit about you because you seem to have um, endless energy. I've asked you about this before over SMS and I don't feel I got a satisfactory answer. You do work incredibly long hours and very hard, but you always look about as fresh as a daisy. Give me some answers, David. Give me some tips. Anything. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm always so uh, so full of energy as uh, as as you might think. But I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a few things that that ground me. Um, one, I'm I'm really fortunate to have a wonderful and and supportive family. Um, and families, you know, family's always been at the, at the core for at the core for me. So. I have a, an amazingly supportive wife, Cindy, two beautiful kids, Harry and Madeline, um, and, I've, and I've got the benefit of a really uh, fantastic extended and, and supportive supportive family. So that's that's kind of at the core and the foundation for me. Um, I, I think my, my Christian faith has actually has actually played a role in in my development over the years. I, I've talked before about growing up in in the Anglican Church. And I don't think you realise at that young age um, how necessarily important and, and profound some of some of that is. Others for me have been uh, meditation. So I was really uh, fortunate, probably over twenty years ago now, to find uh, 
the School of Philosophy and uh, and managed to to learn mantra based meditation through mm. the through the school and i find that can be incredibly grounding in mm. those in those times where there's a lot going on yeah and and sometimes that can be meditation sometimes it's as simple as just feeling your feet on the floor mm. or uh, you know feeling your breath or uh, feeling the wind coming by so, so some of those simple simple techniques do you make time for that every day or weekly practice? I, I try and make time for it every day. I won't say I'm uh, I'm as good as I should be in uh, in being able to practice meditation every day. But those simple exercises I do every day. So some of just those simple pauses. And you might be rushing from a webinar to a call to a meeting and the sorts of days that that many of us have now. And just that just that simple pause between activities, I find I find incredible. I want to get you to touch on two other things. So running in the morning. Every day, running in the morning every day. That's that's changed my life. That's that's new for me. So I, I started that during COVID, and uh, and it started because my kids were going out on their bikes for the uh, limited period of exercise that you could get during COVID. And I used to borrow a council bike, and guess what? During COVID, they took all the bikes away. <laughs> so I found myself running after running after the kids, and, uh, and, I, and I wasn't necessarily the the pillar of athletic fitness. So, uh, but that that kind of got me that got me into it, and uh, and so since COVID, doing long walks and running, and uh, so yeah, now I run every every weekday morning of the week, Monday to Friday, I do at least six k every morning, and on the weekends I often do some some long walks, and feeling so much better for it. It's a wonderful way to to start the day and. And I think I've lost about 10, 15 kilos over that period of time as yeah, well. Yeah, you look tremendous. And I'm also sitting opposite another young man who looks tremendous. So I won't call him out on uh, the podcast, but Bead looks great too. Um, <laughs> and for you, I mean, you also don't drive often. You, you walk everywhere. Is that right? Yeah, I, I walk just just about everywhere. And again, that's kind of, it's great for, for exercise, but I think it's, it's great for, for mental health yep. and, it, and it's great just to kind of give yourself some, some time, yep. some time to, to think and kind of reflect on, reflect on the day. Um, and I find, I mean, I'm one of these people who uh, I'm not a big fan of 100% remote working. No. Um, I'm, I'm a hybrid working fan yep. and, and I spend most, most of the days I will, I will go into our office and and I find it's it's a really nice break in and out of the workday to walk into work and think about what might be going on, and then to use the walk home as a bit of a as a bit of a disconnect. I often call my parents on the phone on the way home, for example, and just find it a really nice way to physically disconnect from the day. Yeah, I I don't know if this is the same for you, but I I think better when I'm walking, and I think I talk better when I'm walking. I think there's something evolutionary about the walking in conversation that's probably happened since the dawn of time. But, you know, we've had most of our meetings, I think, this year walking. Um, and I try whenever I can. I'm one of these people who will, if I can be away from a screen, I'll try and do it. Um, phone call, very important. I think that balance in tech is sort of important to sort of try and, you know, as much as you need to be near a screen, you need to make time away from the screen as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a big fan of walking meetings. Some other, other friends of mine do running meetings. I'm not quite I'm sure I'd be quite so good at that, but uh, keep up the walking meetings. And, I mean, you've got a lot of other interests um, outside of this. I mean, you're a massive music fan. Maybe talk a little bit about the influence of music on um, on your life and sort of who are your favourite bands and how often you get to see them and the like. Yeah, um, music music for me probably really came to the fore in, uh, in my days at, at uni and my, my Brisbane days and at University of Queensland and uh, some great Brisbane bands from uh, from back then, so bands like Scream Feeder, 
Um, bands like Custard, everybody oh, now Custard. knows the uh, lead singer of Custard because he's the dad on Bluey. But uh, but Is back then, really? but back then they were the daggy band that we would go and uh, go Custard. and see in Brisbane. Yeah. Wow. That's so amazing. It was a great band scene in in Brisbane, and then we'd see uh, you know lots lots of bands coming from uh, from international as well. A number are still playing. So bands bands from back then like Pavement was uh, was one of my one of my favourite bands. But and it was so just a great scene. Favorite gig that you've seen in the past year or two? Oh, in the last uh, in the last year or two. Would, I know you've uh, been to New York recently. You must have caught something that you wanted to see there. Well, I'd, I'd say uh, my my favourite in the most immediate recent time was uh, was I saw the Darkness concert in uh, in Brisbane with a really good mate of mine up up there, and uh, they, they are wonderful on stage performers. And uh, and it was great to see everybody back. You know, we've been in COVID. We've had to. I, I'm not a big fan of watching a concert on Zoom. No, and so to, and so to actually have a packed venue like the Tivoli and being able to see a band like the Darkness was just amazing. Oh, incredible! And, and I mean, look, I'm so out of touch. I just listen to Spotify, but I can see uh, Bede, who's got his own band opposite me, nodding um, very rapidly. So that 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 means that that's good informed selection of band, which is great. Um, Amazing. And so, look, beyond all of these passions and things that you do, I mean, I'm interested in how you find time and why it's important for you to find time to do things like um, Alana and Madeline Foundation and some of the other work that you do board-wise and NED-wise. Yeah, I, I just think that there's just so much incredibly important work that's that's needed out there. So yeah, I re- recently joined the, the board of the Alana and Madeline Foundation. I just think they do incredibly important work protecting and looking after young people. And part of my motivation for that was uh, was thinking about the work we've done at InfoExchange for so many years in digital inclusion, bringing people online. And there's there's also a sinister side of that, and uh, and I can see it with uh, you know with my own daughter getting online yep. and, and all of these kind of protections you've got to look out look out for these days. Um, and so that was my a key part of my motivation for joining the board of the Alana and Madeline Foundation was the incredible work that that they do. Um, I'm also on the board of Specialist Earn Australia and, and they do absolutely wonderful work looking at autism not as a disability but as the autism advantage mm. um, and in, in bringing autistic people into fantastic jobs across uh, across the corporate world in, yeah. uh, in, in government. And I just think that's so incredibly important because such a, such a talented group of people oh, yeah. who are often overlooked through the recruitment process and as we found at InfoExchange, you know, become your most loyal and talented in employees. So, oh, 100%. Um, they do absolutely incredible work. So it's very interesting to see the um, the public discourse change around um, neurodiversity and sort of the, the appeal of people who are neurodiverse to um, not just the big four but, you know, really important roles everywhere. Um, it's sort of become almost like um, an unspoken thing to a real asset. So very interested to hear about the autism advantage, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I, I think it's so important. I mean, we we used to people used to think about autism in the context of Rain Man, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think now, you know, I think everybody's minds have been have been opened, and it's wonderful to see organisations embracing autistic, autistic talents in the way that they are. Yeah, no, it's tremendous stuff, David. Um, fantastic being with you today. I, I mean, I, I feel like there's so many things I want to ask you. One thing I will sort of finish on before we get to sort of key messages is just around. Um, do you watch TV or movies? Uh, and if so, what are you into or what are you watching at the moment? And also just books, like are you a reader? Are there things that you're interested in at the moment, topics, books that you're reading? 
Yeah, so I, I don't read nearly as much as I would like to. I always have a big stack of books next to uh, next next to my bed. Um, but we did a uh, we did a webinar earlier this morning with uh, Assistant Minister Andrew Lee, um, Assistant Minister for Charities, and he's written a couple of wonderful books with his Chief of Staff Nick. And so that's that, that's a couple there that that I would recommend. Um, TV again, not, not a lot, and I'm uh, I'm an avid ABC watcher, so I'm, I'm there, kind of catching up, catching up with the news. Nice um, movies. I've been loving to get back to. Now we're out of you know. Now we're out of COVID. Yep. Um, and I saw a wonderful documentary recently at Cinema Nova called uh, The Lost City of Melbourne, which was going through some of our beautiful old architecture in uh, in Melbourne that was ripped down in the in the sixties and and seventies. So. Love that. Love the documentaries is uh, is one of my favourites to go and watch. What a fantastic conversation! And for people, I'm sure people want to contact you and learn more about your work. What's the best way to get in touch with you and learn more about Info Exchange? So LinkedIn is the is the platform that that I use the most, and uh, and I always love hearing from people, and uh, and I always say I will have a coffee with anyone. And I don't think I've ever been disappointed by that decision. Well, you might you might regret saying that here, but um, we'll see how you go. Maybe you'll be scheduling some twenty twenty four coffees as well. <laughs> That's fantastic. And what what should people sort of who want to engage more with Info Exchange um, as a result of this conversation do? Is it just sort of heading to the website? I guess there's the Digital Transformation Hub. There's the Ask Izzy website. We'll link in all the show notes. But anything that you recommend in particular? Yeah, so, so come and have come and have an explore. Come and have a look at the Info Exchange website. Follow us. Follow us on socials. And, and I guess if you're not working in the not for profit sector, this is a discussion we were having this morning. Particularly people working in tech. You know, we we really encourage people coming from the the private sector with that experience and joining the not for profit sector. And I think it's again part of our secret sauce at Info Exchange has been we have such a wonderfully diverse group of people who have come from such different backgrounds, including professional backgrounds. Mm. So you'll have people that have come from tech, people that have come from government, people that have come from the community sector, people that have come from a corporate environment. And bringing all of that knowledge and experience together, I think, is is really part of our secret sauce. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being with me today. Wonderful to be with you. Thanks, Mike. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.